In this podcast, barristers from Hong Kong Devoe Chambers come together to discuss some of the greatest existential challenges we are currently facing. Katrina Lam, John Hoy, and Sabrina Ho pick up the gauntlet and address issues posed by AI, including some of the major benefits the lawyers can expect going forward, as well as some of the most pressing concerns. Are fears surrounding the new technology warranted? Will clients soon expect lawyers to use AI tools on a daily basis to reduce costs? Katrina, John, and Sabrina will unpick these themes here. Katrina Lamb weighs in on what area of her practice or of the law could benefit the most from artificial intelligence. Before we discuss how AI could benefit the legal profession, I think it is important to define it first. There is a distinction, which is probably familiar to most people, between generalized and specialized AI. In sci-fi movies like The Terminator, what you see is generalized AI. Computers become smarter than we are and eventually takes over the world. We're probably still a long way away from that. So no, we're not talking about some type of walking, talking robot from the Terminator in a suit carrying a briefcase, although that would be pretty cool. What we have been seeing increasingly is specialized AI. A term that is catching on is cognitive computing. This means training machines how to learn, reason, and make decisions. I think the law is in many ways particularly conducive to AI because both operates in a very similar way. Both look to historical examples to infer rules to apply to new situations. At the risk of oversimplification, legal rulings involve identifying principles from president, applying those principles to the particular facts at hand, and reaching a conclusion accordingly. This logic-oriented methodology is exactly the type of activity to which AI can be usefully applied. I think the number one benefit that AI brings to the practice of law is the ability to process and evaluate large numbers of documents and large amounts of data in a fraction of the time required by humans. While AI will never replace the independent judgment of a living, breathing legal professional, AI can assist lawyers and their staff in quickly finding those documents, facts, relevant precedents, or aspects of a complex case which require closer evaluation, which used to eat up hours of time. Another aspect the legal profession can greatly benefit from is what Professor Richard Suskind one of the UK's most respected and legal technology experts, has described as automation and transformation. Automation is the application of technology to pre-existing, often inefficient processes to turbocharge old ways of doing things, whereas transformation applies to the use of technology to allow one to do things that were simply not previously possible. In his new book, Online Courts and the Future of Justice, Professor Suskin advocates for the establishment of an online court for low-value civil claims. The idea is that human judges, not AI, should decide cases, not in a physical courtroom or through virtual hearings, but by the submission of evidence and arguments by the parties through an online platform. Judges then deliver the decisions, not in open court, but again via the online service. 
This would overcome the fact that current practice and procedures are often too costly and too slow, especially for litigants in person. We are already seeing this type of online services offered in the UK where you can make a money claim online, apply for a divorce or appeal to the tax tribunal. A new online system called CE File is also being implemented for court users, judiciary and staff for filing documents and paying court fees in the Royal Courts of Justice in the upper tribunal. In Singapore, e-litigation was launched in 2013 and can be used to file Supreme Court documents, manage case files through emails and SMS alerts and access court documents online. I think Hong Kong would greatly benefit from this type of digitalization of the court process and this would also promote greater access to justice. This sort of discussion is particularly relevant now given we have a substantial backlog of cases due to the closure of courts since the end of January this year as a result of the coronavirus. Katrina, can you think of a concrete example of where and how AI will save time and costs that can be passed on to the client? I can think of a few concrete examples where AI is beginning to be applied to save time and costs in the field of litigation. The first area is legal research. For years, practitioners manually searched through physical law reports and legal textbooks to find relevant precedent. Nowadays, this process has gone digital, and the most common way to conduct legal research is to use computer programs such as LexisNexis and Westlaw. You enter a couple of keywords, press enter, wait for a list of cases to turn up, which you would then have to spend hours going through to identify cases that may be relevant. Each search is linear and bears no relationship to past or future searches. With AI, that changes as each search becomes part of the learning process in each search and answer, and correction, if necessary, makes the machine that much better for the next task. Some companies, like Case Text and Ross Intelligence, are already building research platforms that have a more sophisticated understanding of the meaning of a judgment beyond mechanical keyword matching. This forms the basis for great leap forward in AI by giving lawyers the ability to extract pertinent information rapidly by either typing a query directly or simply by asking the machine to perform a task. The second area is litigation prediction. This is where you can ask the question, what are my odds of success with this application before this particular judge? Predicting how a judge might rule on an application traditionally relied on the personal experience of the barrister or solicitor based on their own previous encounters with the judge or from what they learned through colleagues or decisions handed down by that judge. Now, AI allows much more comprehensive predictions based on a larger set of data. AI can forecast litigation outcome using data points such as past relevant case law, the fact pattern in question, win-loss rates, and a judge's history in deciding cases. In fact, a team from University College London used machine learning to analyze the case texts of the European Court of Human Rights and reported a 79% accuracy rate on the outcome prediction 
This can have a major impact on litigation. It can be a very useful tool to help lawyers and clients in formulating litigation strategies, fast-track settlement negotiations, and minimize the number of cases that need actually go to trial, saving a lot of time, costs, and court resources. Finally, the third area is online legal services. Some legal questions recur frequently. For example, is this person an employee or an independent contractor? What is likely compensation I will get from my personal injuries claim? One can readily foresee law firms developing online services where they can provide simple legal advice by asking clients to respond to a series of specifically designed questions about their fact situation. Considering the size of the legal market, AI represents a massive opportunity for value creation and transformation in the legal profession in the near future. John, what processes along the spectrum do you think could be commoditized by AI? Where could AI best be leveraged by lawyers? Whether we are comfortable with the role of AI in the legal industry depends on how advanced AI can be developed. If AI can be as intelligent as the human brain and perform all the tasks that a lawyer can do, then yes, we really need to worry about computers completely replacing human in the legal market. However, I believe that we are far from that. There are still many functions that we as humans are irreplaceable. I will give you some examples. First, AI arguably cannot detect human emotion. When the computer reads a sentence, it may not be able to sense the emotion behind that sentence. For example, when a person says, well done, this is really incredible, sarcastically. What he meant is actually the exact opposite. Further, a person may say something which he or she does not really mean, or mean totally different things when read in context. In litigation, where one single sentence may be a game changer for your client, AI may fail you. Another thing which AI arguably cannot do yet is evaluation of options and making strategic decisions. This may involve weighing the cost and benefit of a particular conduct or evaluating whether the downside risk of doing something justifies it being done. Very often, we as lawyers in weighing options also need to anticipate the likely reaction of the opposing party and the court. This is where AI currently can provide little assistance. AI also cannot formulate advocacy strategies which focus on convincing the judge. In order to maximize the persuasive effect of our speech, we as advocates often have to evaluate how to get the judge's attention, interest, sympathy, and empathy. We also have to learn to avoid pressing the wrong buttons, which may raise the judge's eyebrows. I believe the current AI technology does not have such abilities yet. Finally, 
AI arguably lacks the ability to improvise and think out of the box. Sometimes the solution to the client's problem does not lie in the case itself. Faced with a difficult situation, there are many other legal and commercial means for the client to fight back. I believe that the current AI technology is far from there. So all in all, while AI can bring enormous efficiency and convenience to lawyers, I believe our profession is likely to be staying for quite some time. Routine tasks, e-discovery, analysis of large-scale data can all be taken on by AI. But what's to stop us from going too far and letting AI take on larger and larger roles? Would we be comfortable with that? There are many opportunities where legal services can be commoditized by AI. I will give you three examples. First, legal research. Have you ever tried typing a question in Google search? You will get a result page showing the extract of a web page that answers your question. The result is so precise that you wonder how Google is able to understand your question and match your question with an answer. Well, the same can happen in legal research with AI. Nowadays, if we want to search for an answer to a particular legal question, you will have to contemplate how such a question would be discussed in a judgment and work out a complicated search strings that consists of a number of keywords. With the help of AI, you can just type in a legal question and AI will do the searching for you. It will then give you an answer citing all the relevant landmark cases and the extract from the cases which supports the answer. What's more is that with the help of AI, the computer can understand the relevant judgments and determine which passage in which case most likely and directly answer your question. AI may even be able to give you cases with opposite results and offer ways in which you can distinguish these opposite cases. The second example is consistency checking. I'm sure many litigation lawyers have been asked to check whether their clients' witness statements contain anything which is inconsistent with other documents or the statements made by other witnesses. This can be a very tedious process. With the help of AI, you can ask the computer to read and understand all the documents in a case and do the consistency checking for you. AI will be able to identify, for example, that certain dates mentioned in your client's witness statement is inconsistent with the contemporaneous documents. Apart from checking the who, where and when, smarter AI can even spot inconsistencies in the explanations proffered by your client. For example, your client may say in the statement that he called someone because he was very angry at him. But there may be a chat log which shows that at the material time, the client was actually on very friendly terms with that someone. The third example is document management. As AI can help computers read and understand documents. Lawyers will have luxury 
of having the computer to organize all forms of written correspondence between the parties. With the click of a button, the computer can filter and sort the correspondence according to dates, parties, and even topics and issues. For example, if you want to see all the exchanges between your client and his customer regarding a particular aspect of a contract before a certain date, AI can do that for you. AI can even organize the exchanges, cut out the repetitions, and let you focus firmly on what has been said to each other in a chronological manner. Think of the time and effort that you can save with AI's assistance. In short, I think that there are endless possibilities that AI can help with litigation services. With the help of lawyers and computer engineers, service providers can develop AI algorithms that can be commoditized in the legal market. Given that AI-powered solutions will increasingly be considered ubiquitous in the near future, is there a feeling that by not adopting AI systems, you will be perceived as falling behind? I would say yes for some aspects in the legal field. In some of the areas, you do feel the need to catch up with the development of technology and make better use of it. One example would be for court hearings, the use of video and telephone conferencing. The use of video conferencing is very common in arbitration hearings, especially international arbitrations, where you have parties and legal representatives and the tribunal from different parts of the world. This is a uh, convenient way of gathering all the stakeholders so that their disputes can be canvassed without the need to go through the hassle of traveling. But in the courts, we are still taking time to adapt to more general use of technology in hearings. In a very recent judgment by Mr. Justice Russell Coleman in CyberWorks Audio Video Technology Limited and Patrick Tong, which was handed down in late February, he directed that a procedural hearing to be held over the telephone during the general adjournment period of the court due to the coronavirus epidemic. While the court acknowledged that some people may be concerned that the use of telephone or video conferencing in place of face-to-face -face oral hearing might offend against the general principle for the open and public administration of justice, after balancing all the factors, the court concluded that it cannot be in the interest of the administration of justice or the maintenance of the rule of law in Hong Kong for all work in the civil courts to come to a halt simply because physical attendance of court is rendered impossible due to health concerns. While this case focused on the use of telephone in the directions hearing, I can see that this would pave way for the Judiciary and the Reform Commission to consider expanding the scope of the use of technology, for example, video conferencing and telephone hearing for substantive hearings. At the least, they will lay down a more comprehensive guideline as to when such use of technology would be permitted. So we can stay tuned for development in this aspect. So apart from court hearings, the use of video link for legal education is also a growing trend. For example, we have legal degree co-organized by two universities in different jurisdictions. 
the students can join classes being held in another country using internet link, and then they can hand their homework through the internet. In Hong Kong, again, due to the coronavirus issue, the schools have suspended in-class teaching until April. So most of the classes in universities are now being held online. I have personally conducted an advocacy coaching session with some of my students in Hong Kong U using an online program, which allowed the nine of us to join a video meeting online. It is a very convenient way of allowing all of us together in one forum and allow the coaching session to proceed, notwithstanding the virus issue. Of course, being able to conduct the coaching face-to-face -face is still the best because you can see the students and the advocate in person, and it is the real interaction, which is very important, and I can have eye contact with them instead of staring at the video camera. But if situation does not allow, video link is a good alternative. So for the above areas, we should receive AI with welcome and open arms and benefit from the advantages that AI brings to the legal industry. Should we be worried about what AI can do for lawyers? Should it be regarded as one of man's greatest existential threats? Stephen Hawking said, the development of full artificial intelligence could spell the end of the human race. Humans who are limited by slow biological evolution couldn't compete and would be superseded. Sabrina, do you agree? No. <laughs> I will not be worried that lawyers will get replaced by AI. I do not agree that humans is limited by slow biological evolution and will be superseded by AI. It is precisely because humans are living beings. We have the ability to grow and to undergo evolution, to adapt to the changing environment. AI is not a living being, it is only a tool created by human. While it can be used by human to assist them in various tasks, just like how our ancestors make tools to help them to hunt and make fire to cook, they cannot replace human. I can think of at least two areas which AI cannot replace us. They can assist us but not replace us, and lawyers will still be the crucial players in the legal industry. The first aspect which technology cannot replace lawyers is advocacy in court. A robot can never wake up a sleeping judge. This is true because advocacy is about interaction with the judge. You need to know the judge, answer his questions, take indications from him real time. It is a matter of human interaction to persuade him to agree with your submissions and to address his concerns. Cross-examination of witnesses cannot be done by computer. It must be done by lawyers. We'll have to react to the witnesses' answers and ask for the questions. We need to test the credibility of the witness and let the court observe his demeanor. Again, it is a matter of interaction with the witnesses. After talking about the interaction with the participants in court, the second aspect which we can do better than an AI is interaction with the client. When the clients seek advice from lawyers, he is not only looking for professional and honest legal advice, he is looking for empathy, someone to understand him and his grievances. Empathy is something which AI cannot replicate. The other element would be trust. The client would need to trust the legal team. He needs to be assured that his case is being properly advised on and supported. 
The client will want to see the legal team, not a team of robots cooperating well, bearing their interests in mind. If the case does go to court, the client would want to see real humans being fully prepared and interacting with the judge. So again, it's the human interaction element which AI cannot replace. So the above are just two of the aspects which I think lawyer's involvement is essential. And AI should be our friend, not our enemy. We shouldn't be scared of AI and we will not lose our jobs. All we need to do is to embrace the changes which technology has brought to the legal industry. Our tasks remain the same. We have to safeguard the legal system and protect our clients' interests. The coronavirus pandemic is a classic illustration of the globalized world and why, living in the age we live in, the nation state is actually deficient in terms of addressing and resolving those issues posed by globalization. Coronavirus, we know, travels at warp speed because of ease of travel, ease of contact, and of course we have a world of over 7 billion people, which is a very different population from the world of the Black Death or the world of the plague in medieval Europe, where traveling from A to B was a challenge and news don't get transmitted that easily. But even in those days, the idea of quarantining in order to protect public health and safeguard populations which are vulnerable was recognized and indeed implemented. The very word quarantine is a Venetian word which stems from the idea and the rule that if a vessel reached the port of Venice, nobody could disembark for 40 days. Hence, the word quarantine, which dates from that period. We know that the only countries or territories which have more or less successfully overcome or controlled the challenges posed by the coronavirus pandemic are mainland China, Taiwan, Hong Kong and Singapore. And the ingredients of that success are easily discernible in terms of cooperation, collaboration, community, and subscribing to communitarian values, which sounds terribly old-fashioned when we live in a world which through Western globalization elevates individualism as a principle and also as a right. Now, nothing wrong with individualism at all, nothing wrong with the free market, except that things need to be balanced. Now, in striking a proportionate balance between protection and freedom, we need to contextualize challenges. The reason why China, with 1.4 billion people, have been successful in turning a corner 
on this is not just, as it were, quarantining mass populations like Wuhan or sequencing the DNA for the coronavirus at warp speed and making it publicly available on the World Wide Web as an open source critical piece of information. So nothing proprietary about that effort carried out by Chinese microbiologists and epidemiologists. It was offered as part of the heritage of humankind. But on top of that, one very interesting dimension of this experience is that China actually harnessed both artificial intelligence and 5G to tackle this problem. And they used these technologies as diagnostic tools. Because when you analyze big data, and when you have to look at profiles of infected populations, individuals who are vulnerable, whether elderly or very young, or those with chronic respiratory challenges, etc., you look at a mass of data. And that deployment of 5G and AI as a diagnostic tool was key to winning the battle in China. Now, obviously, we're still living through this process, so the final curtain hasn't fallen on this piece of drama, but it does illustrate that living as we do in a globalized world, we need bridges rather than walls. We need cooperation and collaboration rather than competition. And therefore, the publication of the DNA sequencing on the web was graphic illustration of that approach, as opposed to one of IP protection, commercialization, and making a profit. And there are lessons there for us, because whereas nobody, as it were, seeks to throw the baby out of the bathwater, we do know that capitalism, which is not tempered by equity, distribution, and justice, is not sustainable. We live, as I've said many a time, in the age of the pregnant widow. What do I mean by this? Alexander Herzen, the most profound social thinker living in Russia at the turn of the 18th into the 19th century, at the height of the Napoleonic struggles between Napoleon and the rest of Europe, including, of course, the Tsar of Russia, coined this phrase, the pregnant widow, to illustrate the point that we live in an era of massive structural radical change. The father of the child is dead. The mother is alive. She carries the fetus, not yet born, in her womb, but the baby will be born. We know that. We don't know exactly what this world the baby will be born into look, looks like, but we have some idea. We can make some educated guesses, and in that exercise of guessing, we can discern the contours of this new world. And whereas we are, as human beings, are not clearly omniscient and definitely not omnipotent, we do have a moral duty, a moral imperative to do our very best 
to ensure that the environment into which this baby will be born, in other words, future generations, our grandchildren, great-grandchildren, not yet even conceived, will be born into, would enjoy at least a reasonable prospect of survival. That's the challenge we face, which is a profound existential challenge for humankind, not to mention the biosphere and all the other species which live on this little spaceship, which we call planet Earth. So I do think whilst we are in the vortex of this perfect storm generated by the coronavirus pandemic, we are also offered an opportunity, an opportunity to fashion a world in which we and our future generations might stand a chance of surviving. That is the true meaning of the coronavirus for Cambridge Global Conversations. Thank you very much.